this morning I'm going to talk and share with you uh, from God's word, but uh, about really what I would call soul healing. Uh, you know, last week we talked about physical because obviously we have physical needs. We have physical things that happen. And, uh, but today I want to share with you a little bit about what it means to be healed or whole in your soul. Because it is something that Jesus wants to do. And uh, whether you realize it or not, I've, I've phrased it this way just because I think it's a pretty honest assessment. Is that we're all jacked up. We all have things. Whether you realize it or not. And this isn't just from a biblical perspective. You can even go into the psychological realm and they will tell you every one of you have a wound. As a matter of fact, specifically, you have a wound from your father. And it doesn't matter how good your father is. I had a pretty good one and I still have wounds from my father. But those wounds can be healed. And it's important that we understand that. And so, you know, over the last couple of years, we've been hearing a term a lot in culture, which is this, the idea of mental health. How many of you have heard a little bit about mental health over the last couple of years? And, uh, you know, they say statistically that through COVID and the shutdowns and all these things that mental health is actually, you know, there's, there's actually more people who have had adverse effects from uh, isolation than they actually have from the disease. Like people being reclused and shut in and shut down and just confined. I mean, like all kinds of things are off the charts. More people are facing depression right now than in any time in, re in recorded history. Why? Because we weren't intended to be locked down. Now, that is not a political statement. Because how many of you know you can have all the freedom to go and do whatever, but still be bound in your soul? And so, you know, and so what I want to talk about and share with you a little bit today, because I believe that the conversation about mental health is very important for the church to have. I don't believe that it's just reserved for the secular world to talk to and to give us advice on how to live well and to live whole. Because the reality is, is that without God, there is no wholeness. No amount of counseling can fix certain parts of your, of your heart because it's going to take the presence and the power of God to do that. Now, I'm not against counseling. As a matter of fact, in two weeks from today, I'm going to have a licensed Christian counselor here with us. So I would encourage you, if you need to go talk to somebody, go talk to somebody. There are things because, you know, because what can happen is we can actually begin to look at specifically this area in one of two ways. Either it's all up to God or it's all up to science. Well, where did science come from? And I believe that we can invite science with God in accordance to God's word. Like I'll give you an example. One of the things that we're going to talk about in two weeks is a question is number one, why is there a stigma in the church about counseling? How many of you ever thought this? You hear somebody going to counseling and it's like, oh, it's that bad. Like, oh, we went to marriage counseling. Like, oh my gosh, is it, are you, are you guys like, is it really to that point? It's like, well, no, we just needed an oil change. We just needed like a little tune-up. We just, well, you know, things are good. Like we're not falling apart. But why is there that stigma? And then the other, another question we're going to talk about is, hey, does it matter which counselor I go to? Like, should I go to a Christian counselor or not? And why does that matter? So we're going to be talking about some very practical things because I believe that sometimes that God will work instantly and will deliver us and heal us in certain areas of our life. But I also know and have experienced, even in my own life, I've experienced both sides of this, where there are things instantly that happen. But then there's also times where I need to learn something 
so that I can grow. Why? Because ignorance does not create bliss. Ignorance creates chaos. And so sometimes I need to go sit down with somebody, maybe not a counselor, maybe a spiritual person that I trust, somebody who's a little further down the road than me and say, hey, have you ever been down this road? And they're like, oh, yeah, let me tell you the story. And then you learn wisdom. It's amazing if you ask the right questions, you get wisdom. If you don't ask questions, you don't get the wisdom. And so we have to be willing. That's why we believe in groups. It's not just so that we can have a relationship. It's so that I can actually build relationships with other people that they can speak into my life, that I can learn from them, learn about their story, learn the wisdom. You know what wisdom is, right? Wisdom is the lesson without the pain. I would rather learn wisdom than I would learn through pain. So I can listen to somebody else's mistake and go, I don't think I want to do that. That didn't turn out too well for you. So I don't think it's really going to turn out much different for me. So I just don't want to do that. And we're, but that takes relationships. It takes being in connection. And so I want you to understand when I'm talking about mental health or what I'm going to call soul health, because mental health is soul, truthfully. Why? Because your soul is your mind. It's your thoughts. It's your desires. It's your intentions. It's your emotions. That's all in your soul. You are a three-part being. You are a spirit, the eternal part of you. You have a soul. It's the way you think, the way you process information. Your emotions are all into that. Your will, your desires, that's all. And then you have a flesh that the Bible says that we fight constantly. Why? Because your flesh, I don't care how old you are, is like a spoiled two-year-old that just wants what it wants when it wants it. And so sometimes we have to discipline our flesh to say, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't think that way. And it's important if we're going to experience the life that Jesus actually wants and actually, as Caitlin was talking about earlier, the, the, the life that Jesus paid the price for us to live, we're going to have to learn some things from Scripture. And so I want you to know today, even from the very beginning, and look, and I have my own story in this. And so I don't consider myself an expert, but I do have some experience is that I know that God will heal our heart. He will heal our soul. Look, I've been hurt physically and the Lord has healed me. I've been hurt emotionally and the Lord has healed me. I've been hurt in and by the church and the Lord has healed me. This is what I know about God is that when he shows up, he heals. It's who he is. It's not just something that he does. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he wants us to what? Have his presence and his power in our life so that we're not dominated by what has been done to us. And yet so many of us, and I say many of us, including myself, can get so wrapped up in moments of pressure, of pain, or whatever it is, and we lose sight of the promises of God that he says that he would heal us. And I want to show you something here. We're going to read a passage of Scripture, and I'm going to set it up. But uh, in First Kings chapter 18, this is kind of the, the story that I'm going to share with you. This is about the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. Now, let me give you the backstory before we read about this. But in, so we're going to read in chapter, really the last verse of chapter 18, we're going to read the beginning of chapter 19, but in chapter 17 and 18, it's important for you to know the backstory before we get into this. The backstory is, is Elisha is a prophet of God. You're like, well, what does that mean? In the old Testament, 
God would speak through the prophets to the children of Israel. They were also known, and one of the hallmarks, if you will, was that they would do signs and wonders. Miraculous things would happen when they would pray or whenever they would do and they'd go about. All these amazing things would happen. And so in chapter 17, we see that Elijah prays and says, it's not going to rain again until I says it will. That's not that big a deal except for that it stopped raining. Three and a half years later, well, actually a drought comes to the land because there's no rain. So drought comes. He go, so the Lord says, hey, go to a brook. I'm going to feed you. And birds bring him, bring him food every day. Then all of a sudden, one day the birds don't show up. And Elijah's like, hey, I, where's the lunch? And the God says, hey, I, I've commanded a widow to provide for you. Go over there. And she, and I won't go into all the details of it, but she makes him a meal. She was getting ready to make a meal and basically said, this is our last meal. Me and my son are going to die. And Elijah says, feed me first. And all of your, your oil and your meal will not run out. And it says that her household and Elijah ate until the Lord said, it's time for rain. Elijah prays and he says, hey, there's rain coming. Now it's crazy because in verse, so that's the backstory. Now, I did leave out one pretty important part, by the way. Chapter 18 is a fascinating read because there was a showdown between Elijah and what's called 450 prophets of Baal. They were, it, Baal was a false god. And Elijah just says, hey, it's time to put up or shut up. Which one are we going to do? Whoever's God is God, let him prove it. So Elijah says, hey, let's have a showdown. We're going we're gonna to set up a sacrifice. You 450 prophets of Baal, y'all go first. Y'all do what you do. And it says they went all day and they danced around, yelling, screaming, crying, cutting themselves, making a big show. He starts ridiculing them, which I find humorous. And uh, you may not, but I do. And he's like, hey, maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's on the toilet that's actually in there, um, by the way. And so, but long story short, nothing happens. And Elisha gets there and he says, hey, I don't want just the altar. He says, go get a bunch of water poured on there. Dig a trench, fill it up with water. God shows up, lightning from heaven comes down, gone. And then he kills all 450 prophets of Baal. Because why? He won the showdown. The story we're about to read is right on the heels of that. Literally, the next day. So, right after that happens, um, so, he kills all 450 of the prophets of Baal. All these things are going on. In verse 46 of 1 Kings 18, it says that the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. Now, this is just kind of another one of those miraculous things that happened. It says that he tucked his cloak into his belt. He wore a robe. He rolled it up. Why? Because you can't run in a robe. You don't need to go to Bible school to learn that, by the way. It says, he tucked a cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. I don't remember the miles of how far it was, but it's significant. Let's just say it this way. He ran a full marathon. And he outran a horse. Very impressive. But how did he do that? The Bible says the Lord gave him special strength. So he runs. Now in the very next verse, which is what we call 1 Kings 19 verse 1. It says, when Ahab got home, who was king, he had a wife named Jezebel. But Ahab was at the showdown. He was there. He watched it. And so it says, when he got home, he told his wife Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he'd killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. It says, may the gods, now notice that it's a lowercase g there. Because 
Remember, who are the prophets of Baal? They were the prophets of a false god. So what god is Jezebel referring to? The same god that he just defeated. This is important to understand. And it says, may the gods strike me and kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. And it says, and Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Oh, I forgot one more part of the story. You remember the widow lady? Her son died while he was at her house. He goes and takes him, puts him on his bed, lays on top of him three times, and the boy comes back to life. So he's prayed that rain would stop, and it stopped. He prayed for provision. God provided. He prayed for a showdown and God showed up in the form of lightning, taking up an altar. And then a lady says, I'm going to kill you. And it says he was afraid. Can we rewind 24 hours, Elijah? Because apparently you have forgot a little nugget, a flame of fire from heaven. If God can do that, can he protect you from this lady? But it's amazing. And, I, and I, part of the reason that I love this so much is it shows that Elijah was just human. He was a man. And the Bible actually talks about that in the New Testament. It says that he was a man just like we are, that he had human frailties. He was jacked up too. He had his own issues. And here it says that Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. So I have several questions for you today. It's really the same question in a couple different ways. But just as Elijah was running, because God had done some amazing things and God had shown up. But for whatever reason, Elijah was totally freaked out. And so my question for you is just like Elijah began to run. What are you running from today? What are those areas of your life? What are those areas of your heart that you're running from Instead of standing up to. And I'm going to tell you how to do that this morning. Because it's important. Because many times when it comes. Especially when we start talking about our soul. We don't want to acknowledge it. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to open that door. Because it's dark. It's painful. It's past. And we just want it to be gone. Until you can face it. It can't be gone. But when you can face it. It can be healed. And that is good news. And so even here as we're talking, and I want to show you some things here from this passage of Scripture. And so it picks up, we're going to pick up in verse 3 here. And it says that Elijah went on to Beersheba, a town in Judah. And it says that he left his servant there. And then he went alone into the wilderness. Which, by the way, the prophets never went anywhere alone. They always had people with them. They had their understudies, if you will. But it says that he left his servant there. And it says that he, he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. Now think about that. 24 hours ago, he outran a horse. 24 hours ago, he saw God show up in a tremendous way. And then he prays and says, Lord, would I, can you just kill me? Just take me right here. And I like the honesty of this prayer that he says. He says, I've had enough. You ever prayed that prayer? Come on, let's have some honest hands. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, I've had enough. Enough is enough. I'm over it. I'm done. Tapped out. 
What happened is that Elijah, in a moment of time, and this tells you how fast that this can happen, is Elijah went from being powerful to being depressed. Like that. At the mention from one statement was made by one person, and it changed his entire outlook. It's the power of words, right? I mean, there's lots of things that can harm you, but I would adamantly uh, debate the fact that words are the most powerful and most harmful thing in the universe. Because there are things that have been said to you that have defined you and marked you and labeled you. And they may have been a long time ago. And it may have been just somebody passing through your life. Maybe it was just a word that was spoken to you even back in like when you were in school. Just some random kid made a statement to you. But it stuck with you. And all of a sudden it stuck in your soul. And all these years later you're still defining yourself and viewing yourself through the lens of the lie that was spoken to you. Why? Because it's in your soul. Maybe it was a a parent. Maybe it was somebody that you were close to. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was any number of people. Maybe it was a boss. But yet these statements have been made and they're powerful. See, the thing about depression, and when I'm talking about depression today, there's multiple facets. Because not everybody is depressed, but I can guarantee you we all have been oppressed. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. And I won't go into the technicals of what this is, but we do see this is that Elijah was a mighty man of God. I mean, he had visible signs that God would do what he said. He's one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. If you want to know how important he was when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray right before he went to the cross, guess who shows up? Elijah. He represented all of the prophets when Jesus was transfigured right before he went to the cross. The Bible actually says he shows up again in Revelations as one of the two great witnesses. So Elijah is a big deal in the scriptures. I'll say it that way. And yet here it says that he was afraid and he ran for his life. See, depression affects how we feel, how we think, how we behave. It leads to a variety of emotional and even physical problems. See, some of the physical things that we may be dealing with, like I'll just give you an example. How many of you realize that your high blood pressure may not actually be a physical issue? It may actually be a soul issue that's producing something in your physical body. Now, I'm not saying that to be true in everything, but this is what I know. When you get angry, what happens? Your blood pressure rises. Why? Because your emotions have kicked in. That's the negative side. The good side of that would be like when adrenaline kicks in. Guess what happens? Your heart starts beating a little harder. You're watching that football game. And it's right at the end of the game. And you're like, oh gosh, are we going to win? Or are we going to lose? Your blood pressure rises. Why? Because that's your soul. That's your emotions kicking in. We all have it. That may not be your thing, but we all have areas of our life. And unfortunately for Elijah, I say in some ways, but I think that this is a, pro, a, a, a path that we can take sometimes is that Elijah runs and goes and gets by himself. Now, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is a good thing. Isolation, on the other hand, is not, and they are not the same thing. 
Solitude says, hey, I'm going to go get away so I can recharge. Isolation says, I'm going to get away so I can't get hurt. I'm going to insulate myself. And so solitude would be kind of like a regathering. You ever had that moment where you're like, I just need to get my thoughts together. Right? Like, and you're like, I just need a few moments. Like, I, I read this thing a while back, and me and Dare have laughed about it. And, uh, so, you know, Walgreens, the store, they have this phrase, it's at the corner of happy and healthy. And so the, the code for the wife was to tell the husband, hey, I need to go to Walgreens. She wasn't going to Walgreens, but the code was, I'm trying to go find some happy and healthy. I need some alone time. I need some solitude. Like, take the kids and just, I don't know. I don't care. How many ladies know what I'm talking about? They're like, I don't care what you do with them. They ain't my problem for a little while. Mama needs a break, right? And so there's those moments. And so we do need solitude. Why? Because it helps recenter us. It helps keep our priorities where they need to be. Some of you, solitude freaks you out. Because you're like, you mean to be by myself with my thoughts? Yes. And some of you actually need that. And you're like, but then I'd have to face things. Yes. And I'm going to help you with that this morning. Isolation is different. Isolation is actually when we avoid feeling. And sometimes we're too busy because we, we don't want to be isolated. We just say, man, if I can just stay busy, I never have to think. I never have to wonder about these things. No, but isolation actually begins to cause us to avoid what's going on. And it actually, we, it's actually a way that we could try to insulate ourselves. It's like, I don't want to be in a group. Yeah, but you need to be. You need relationships. I mean, look, in reality, I don't care if you're in a group. I do care if you're in relationship with other believers who can help you in your time of need. Because if not, you're out there by yourself. And you, when you're by yourself, you're a prime target for the enemy. So you need relationships. You need people on your bad days that come alongside of you to help you. You don't need everybody on your good days. You need them on your bad days. And that's how you know who your real friends are, by the way. Who shows up in your worst moments? Who's there saying, hey, I'm praying for you. I believe in you. God is moving in the midst of this moment. Those are real friends. And if you're going to combat the, the onslaught that the enemy is trying to wage war against your heart, you're going to have to make some decisions. How are you going to fight? Who are you going to fight with? The devil doesn't fight fair. And many times what I have experienced in my own life is that I'm just like Elijah here is I'm the most vulnerable right on the heels of a breakthrough of a victory. I've been trusting God, believing God. I've been praying God answers. And it's like there's this spiritual high. And as I'm catching my breath on the backside, the enemy starts whispering. In that moment, he is relentless in his pursuit. Well, he's not talking to my physical body and he can't touch my spirit. My spirit belongs to the Lord. The Bible says it's been recreated in Christ. But he can affect my mind. And he can sow seeds and thoughts into my mind. He's just there whispering, trying to get us to doubt, trying to get us to move into fear, trying to live in the could have, would have, and should have. We can't change what has happened. Good or bad in the past. So we can't live there, but the enemy would love for us to live in the past. You know, you, you, right now it's obviously football season. 
I always think it's humorous. I've never been to a high school football game that there's not a bunch of, uh, how do I say this politely? <laughs> Former players that like to lean up on the fence and talk about the good old days. Oh, we wouldn't have done that. We would have beat this team. All right, big boy, go out there and do it. Oh, that's been 25 years ago. Exactly. But the thing is, is that when we live in the past, we're not actually living in today. We're not looking forward because we're looking backwards. You know, it's important that there's a large windshield on your car and a small rearview mirror. That's good instructions for life right there. Give your past about that much attention and give what's in front of you a lot of your attention. See, we can get bogged down when we lose sight of even what God has done for us. We may not be like Elijah. We may not have these, these moments where we're in crisis, but yet we just kind of get stale even in our spiritual life. Well, what's happened? Because spiritually, you're as, as alive unto God right now as you will ever be. But our soul plays a great, massive impact into how we experience this life with God. And so we can get bogged down because we can lose sight of what God has done for us. And we can fall into the trap of, hey, what have you done for me lately? Well, sometimes we need to remind ourselves is the same God that was faithful is the same that God that is faithful and the same God that will be faithful to us. The psalmist said this in Psalms 43, verse five. He says, why am I so discouraged and why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God and I will praise him again, my God and my savior. One translation says it this way. It says that he's down and he's despondent. He says, but yet I will praise God again. It doesn't matter how I feel in this moment. I know and I count God as faithful to his word and faithful to me that he's gonna do what he said he would do. A very familiar passage of scripture. But this is instructions to us as believers about the devil, the enemy that we have today. First Peter chapter five, verse eight says this. It says, be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams and incessantly, relentlessly. He comes like a roaring lion looking for his prey to devour. So you have an enemy. Every one of us do. And yet it gives us the instructions and it says, take a decisive stand, set it firm in your mind, like draw the line in the sand, if you will, take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack. Yeah, but how, how do I do that? Many of you could quote this verse, but how do you fight against and win the battle against the devil? The Bible says here, and it continues, that we are to resist him in every attack with strong, vigorous faith. We talked about this last week, but what is faith? At its most simple core definition is this. It's believing God's word to be true. Let me give you my definition. It's taking God's opinion over everyone else's, including mine. Is that, God, your opinion is the one that matters for me. See, Elijah was depressed. He was in this moment. He saw God do some amazing, incredible things. And yet, even in that moment, his humanity bursts forth and he's afraid. Fear comes in and because he's afraid, he begins to run. And here's what I want you to know is that even in that moment, God didn't come to Elijah and say, 
Hey, Goober, get up. What are you thinking? Like, you're my man. Like, you say it, I'll make it happen. Like, we've got a good thing going, Elijah. What's wrong with you? All you had to do was run the play, and now you're running the wrong way. That's not what God did. We actually pick up the story in 1 Kings 19, verse 7. It says that an angel from the Lord came again and touched him. He's already come once. This is the second time that he's come to him. And he says, get up and eat some more. He said, for the journey ahead is too much for you. You need to know the journey ahead is too much for you. If the last year and a half, two years, whatever it's been, has taught us anything, life's crazy. And it's hard to process what all is going on. What's true? What's not true? Who do I listen to? Because the guy I was listening to changed his mind three times. So what do I do? The journey ahead is too much and that will weigh down your soul. And it will cause you to get into fear and it will pull you away from the promises of God. It says that Elijah got up and he ate and he drank. And it said, and the food gave him enough strength to travel for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave where he spent the night. Elijah eats one meal and he went for 40 days straight without eating again. That's some supernatural strength. So he eats, he goes to this cave, he's there. And in verse 15 of 1 Kings 19, God tells Elijah and says, hey, go back the way that you came. Elijah, quit running. Quit running away from the threat. Quit running away from what you're afraid of. Go back to what you're running from. See, I asked you this question a minute ago and I'm going to ask it again. Is are you running from something that you need to turn around and face? Is there something in your past? Is there, is there something that was said? Is there something that was done that you just don't want to deal with? And you just want to leave it back there because it's too painful to open that door. And this is what I'm telling you is that that is a, a wound and a hole and a scar in your soul that Jesus wants to heal that only he can heal. Look, we can learn coping mechanisms. Coping is learning to deal with the problem. I don't want to cope. I want to be healed. I want to be made whole again. I don't want to be left broken and just figuring it out. I want God to actually work in my life and work in my heart to a point that I can actually testify and tell somebody else about the goodness and the ability of what God did in my life. That is the goal. And here's the thing. He wants to do it. As a matter of fact, Jesus has already provided for it. See, I believe that God actually wants to begin to begin some healing in your soul this morning. And I believe it can happen like that. I believe it can be a process. Look, I dealt with depression. I was a junior in high school. I cared nothing about living for God. I wasn't trying to, not interested in it at all whatsoever. Didn't care. But God got my attention because, and I don't have time to go into all the details of it, 
But I walked in a room one way, and when I walked out, it, I was completely different. Completely different in a moment of time. And I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders. And when I walked out, I felt like I could breathe. So this isn't, again, this isn't theory. I'm telling you something I've walked and experienced myself. And again, I didn't give a rip about God. I didn't, I wasn't at church. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to be, but God got my attention. Six months later, I surrendered my heart to the Lord. It's how God got my attention. I knew about God. I just didn't know him. I thought we just talked about the Bible at church. I didn't realize that there was real power and real substance to this thing. See, I believe and and I've seen it in my own life is that that God will heal the broken places in our souls. He absolutely will. But what we conceal, God cannot heal. We have to be willing to invite him into that moment, into that whatever it may be. See, I know that many of us are fighting battles that not many, if anybody, actually knows about. You know, I saw something here recently uh, that actually is where I got this statement from. And it was actually a picture of Robin Williams, the comedian. How many of you remember him? He took his own life. And he made a statement. He said, many people are, are fighting battles that nobody knows about. And he says, so always be kind. See, many of us are, are, are carrying weights and, and things are on us and, and there's just pressure. See, you may say, well, I've, I've, never, I've never experienced depression. You don't have to. There is, the Bible talks about oppression. Oppression is this. It's a sense of being weighed down in your body or your mind. It's just pressure. It's weight. It's just like there's a heaviness on you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're depressed. But it but don't fool yourself and say, well, it doesn't affect me. Absolutely, it does. Absolutely, it does. See, John 10, 10 and 11 tells us a very clear contrast between what God wants and what the devil wants. There's two plans for your, well, there's really three plans, I suppose, for your life. There's your plan. You can have your own plan. God has a plan for your life, but so does the devil. So we get to pick which one we want to live. That's our decision. John 10, starting in verse 10, I'll read verse 11 too, because many of you could probably quote verse 10. But it says, the thief has come with one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. Jesus says, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life to its fullest until it overflows. And here's what I would ask you. If you're not experiencing that overflowing life this morning, there may be an area in your soul that God needs to come into to allow the flow of his spirit to begin to flow again in a powerful way. And that's not an indictment against you. What I'm saying is to to take an honest assessment of your soul and say, is God's life flowing in me, through me, for his glory? And if it's not, the enemy has probably gotten in somewhere. It goes on in verse 11 and it says that I am the good shepherd, Jesus. I am the good shepherd who lays down my life as a sacrifice for my sheep, for my followers, for my disciples. Jesus laid his life down as a sacrifice for you. 
Kalen talked about this when we were doing communion, that Jesus took stripes upon his back. So that in the Bible says that by his stripes, we were healed. He also took a crown of thorns upon his head. Why is that significant? What's inside of your head? Your brain, your thoughts. All of these things are happening. And Jesus says, I've laid down my life as a sacrifice so that you could be made whole. See, this is just, it's just a fact and just a truth is that I believe that it's okay to say I'm not okay. Even inside the church, we, sometimes we want to just cover things and be like, oh, I'm good, I'm great, things are awesome. When in, on the inside, things are not okay and things are not awesome. But we would rather be fake than we would be honest. But when we're honest, there's healing that can come. Now, you're not honest with everybody and anybody. You got to go to the right people and you need those right people. So it's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay that way. Don't just accept it like, hey, this is just who I am. This is just the way life's going to be. Says who? Because Jesus's life being sacrificed for you says something very differently. He paid way too high of a price for us to not enjoy what he has for every single one of us. Jesus paid an incredible price. He paid our bill so that we could get all that he has. That's what the Bible tells us. See, we want you, even part of the vision here for the church, which very simply, this is what I say, is that it's not just our vision for the church. This is God's desire for you as an individual. It's not just, hey, this is who we are. No, this is God's desire over and over and over and over in Scripture. God says, I want you to know me, like really know me. Don't know church, know me personally, like a real deal in your soul. You need to know that I am real and I know you. That's God's desire. So it starts with a relationship with him. The second thing is, is that he wants you to find some freedom. What does that mean? That means you got to find some healing from the trash and the stuff of your past that has been done to you and against you. Why? Because the enemy has an assignment and has a plan for your life. And he doesn't want it to be anything to reflect the goodness of God. And so you've got to get back to a place. And actually that word, really what it means is to come back to the original intent that God designed you for. Well, what was the original intent of Adam and Eve? It was that they knew no sin and all they knew was the goodness and the presence of God. So we have to be able to, to what? Open up our hearts, allow the Lord to come in to heal our past so that we can experience him at a greater level. I'll just throw this one in here as another one, but I don't have time to speak on it, but you'll understand. Offense is being hurt in your soul. When you get offended by somebody, that's a soulish thing that happens. But you have to choose what you're going to do. So how do we get past these things? I mean, yes, okay, so we're all jacked up. We've all got holes in our soul. We all got these things going on, right? What do we do? There's two answers when we're talking about soul health. And number one is we have to be in the presence of God. I don't mean just come to church. I mean, we meet with God. And you don't have to come to church to meet with God. 
You can meet with God here, but this is not the only. God goes everywhere you go. So if you want to meet him in your truck, you can meet him in your truck. If you need to meet him at lunch, you can meet him at lunch. If you need to meet him at the house, out back behind the shed, I don't care. I have met with the Lord in a shed, by the way. I was fasting one time and I was working on a ranch. And they had these little huts, these little round huts. And so I would not eat lunch and I would go and worship and pray in the hut. And God would meet me there. So I don't care where you are, God can meet you. And it's not so much about where, it's if you do. Because God is willing and God is available anytime that we desire him. God will not reject you. He won't. So we need his presence, number one. And equally, we need his word. It's important that we know what the Bible says. Hosea 4 verse 6 says this. God is talking about the children of Israel. And he says that my children are destroyed for a lack of knowledge or understanding. It's not head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. Like they can't see what I want to do. And therefore the enemy gets the upper hand and is overtaking them. Because they don't see and understand, comprehend what I want to do. So there's negative ramifications because they don't see what I want for them. Acts 3.19 says this. This is important. It says that we are to repent. Sometimes we need to go to the Lord and repent for just trying to do this thing by ourselves And say, Lord, I'm sorry. I realize that I've been trying to do all of these things in my own effort, my own energy. But it says that here, it says when we repent, that times of refreshing will stream from the presence of God. Sometimes we need like a personal revival. A lot of people pray for revival. Start, start praying for your own. And then worry about everybody else's. So, so again, how do we do this? He's like, well, how do I get in the presence of God? You can pray. You can worship. You can read his word. You can come to church. You can get in a group. You can have spiritual conversations with other people. There's lots of ways to get into the presence of God. The biggest thing is focus. Cut out the distractions. Doesn't mean it takes hours. It can take minutes. But it's important that you connect with God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 says this. And I don't have time to read the scriptures. You'll have to go read Ephesians 6 later. I'm going to give you two. But it says that we're to put on the full armor of God so that we may be able to successfully stand against all the schemes and the strategies and the deceits of the devil. See, if we're not, the Bible actually says in the last days, which I believe that we're living in, I'm not saying that Jesus is coming back next week, next year. I don't have a clue. And to be honest, neither do you. But it does say, but there are lots of signs that point to the last days. And it says in the last days that deception will be rampant. So we need to understand that what is deception is to believe something is factual that in reality isn't true. That's what deception is. It means that I believe a false truth. So God's word is ultimately true. Why? Because it's got a track record and it's track records way better than my opinions. I can tell you or my theories. God's word is very accurate. Give you an example. There's 300 prophecies about the birth of Jesus. Where he would be, who he'd be born to, where he would go, about his life before we see him. And we know all about what happened with Jesus. 
Because God said it before he ever came. So God's word gives us authority. And so it's important that we understand these things. In verse 16 of Ephesians 6, it says this, because he goes through all these different elements of the armor, but I only have time for one. I don't really have time for that, but anybody give me five more minutes? All right. Can I add all those up? Verse 16, it says, above all, he says, lift up the protective shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the fiery arrows of the evil one. What are the fiery arrows? They're thoughts that come into your mind. And it says that you have a protective shield. It's the shield of faith. It's the shield of God's word that I can what? I can actually intercept the thoughts. The thoughts are going to come. You can't keep them from coming. The thoughts will come, but you can't stop them. And sometimes you have to stop yourself and say, I'm not going to think like that. I'm not going to allow myself to go down that road. I'm not going to allow myself to get caught up in the, in the emotions and to go back into that conversation and to go back into that past and to go back into that moment. Nope, I'm, I'm focused on what God wants to do in me. And what God wants to do in me is that I would be made whole and well. That's what God's word says. He's going to come in your thought life. He's going to ask you things like this. Well, that's not what the Bible really means. In the garden, it was, did God really say? No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. He, he didn't mean that. It might be just some doubt to confuse us or to frustrate us. Why? And what's he trying to do? He's just trying to get a, a crease in the door. He's trying to get that foothold into, the, into our soul. A number of months ago, Sean preached for me, and I love the definition. I went back and looked it up. Of what a foothold is. He says it's a secure position for which further progress can be made. The devil works through two ways. Patience and stealth. That's his tricks. So he'll get a foothold and he'll just hang out there for a while. And then all of a sudden something happens and we explode. And we're like, where did that come from? Oh, the enemy's just been buying us time. Why? Because there was something on the inside of us that wasn't good that it wasn't well and and so what happens when the devil gets a foothold is he's able to come in and manipulate us he can play us why because we gave him access so how and i'm about to give you four practical things Ways that we can actually thwart the work of the enemy. Because here's what I know. What's better than being healed is to never be hurt. Now, I have good news for you. And there's a lot of you that this is going to apply to. And we're going to pray in a few minutes. That you are hurt. The scriptures never said we wouldn't get hurt. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have some troubles. But do not fear. I am with you always. I'd say it to you this way is that God never said we wouldn't get hurt. He just promised he would heal us every time. So what can we do in in a practical sense to be able to help bring some balance into our life? Because Jesus makes a statement, by the way, and says that we should be unoffendable. I'm not there yet. I don't know about you. I still get offended. That's a challenging verse. 
I mean, when people were spitting on Jesus, cussing at Jesus, throwing things at him, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do is they set the cross into the ground. That's being unoffendable. I am not there. You're probably not either. And if you are, please. Because I guarantee you, every one of us have probably had an opportunity to get offended this week. And we may not realize it and we say, well, it's not that big a deal. It's time for you to start facing some things that you've been running from. It's time. But I want to give you four things real quick. And these are just practical things. It's just really for some for you to think about, to, to look at. Is that we all possess four tanks in our life. There's four of them. And they, this is how we experience life. And they all affect each other. One is not greater than the other necessarily. They all have impact and influence. But if we can get these tanks where they get, keep them from becoming empty, our experience in life is much better. Even the work of God is better. The, the first one is this. It's an emotional tank. You have an emotional tank. You ever like had a, an issue or had a friend who called you about the same problem and you're like exhausted when you get off the phone with them? You're just like, oh my, it's not even my problem, but oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm drained. You ever had that thought that people drain you? Because they do. And I don't care if you're introvert, extrovert. At some point you need some solitude. To recharge and to recenter. So how do you how do you refuel an emotional tank? Proverbs seventeen verse twenty two says this: A happy heart is good medicine, and a joyful mind causes healing. But a broken spirit will dry up the bones. You need to get around either some people that make you laugh, and I don't mean like courtesy laugh, like ah, that's funny, like. Like me and Dara, a couple of weeks, I don't know, a week or so ago, we were sitting on the couch. We were watching some show. I don't even know what it was. And I started like, like she was kind of leaned up against me and I started laughing and she's going like, you know, she's like bouncing and I'm just laughing. And the more that she moved, the more I laughed, you know, cause it became even more funny. And then I'm hearing what the guy's saying. It was just a funny moment, right? But do you realize that laughter is actually healing to the soul? Like we need it more than we know. And that's why it's important. See, they tell you that one minute of anger and frustration will will weaken your immune system for four to five hours. A moment of anger will weaken your immune system. A minute of laughter will boost your immune system for 24 hours. One minute. And you're like, well, I just don't think things are that funny. You need to go find something that's funny. (laughs) Like... Yeah, I mean, you got you to gotta find something. Go find you a, a Christian clean comedian that you just think is hilarious. Look, I used to have a video clip on my desktop when I was doing video editing because I was locked in a dark, cold room for hours and hours a day. And it was just a funny video. And when I would get in a moment, I would just go pull. It was about five seconds, ten seconds long. And it would make me laugh, and then I'd go back to work. It's like, man, I got to, like, get out of the computer age here. And it worked. One day I was at my office. This is when I was youth pastor up in Kansas. And I'm, me and my, the, the pastor I worked for there, 
I was in my office and I was watching a video of a comedian that I liked. And I'm laughing so hard. He walked in my office and was like, what is so funny? I mean, because, you know, I'm typically not that loud of a person that may, well, my wife may say different, but, um, but, and I, and I showed him and then he started laughing and we just had a good five minutes of laughing there together. It was awesome. Sometimes you just need that. So you have an emotional tank. You have a mental tank. Have you ever been physically fine, but mentally exhausted? It's because they're separate tanks. They're not the same thing. And so you have a mental tank. Well, how do you refresh your mental tank? What fascinates you? Like, what do you enjoy? Now, Facebook doesn't count and mindlessly scrolling will not work. Getting on the internet and just scrolling page. That's actually sucking life out of your soul if you don't know. There's a lot of research behind that. You know, one of the worst things you can do is to scroll social media in your bed at night. Go do the research. It will actually take you longer to go to sleep. It's called blue light. It's so bad that they now make glasses for people to wear so that it doesn't have effects on them as much. I don't know if it's hype. I don't know if it's real. I have no idea. But there's statistics and there's all kinds of of data to support this. So it's not going to, you're like, oh, I'm just vegging out. Vegging out is not recharging. If you need sleep, go to sleep. Here's another way. What, what's something new that you're learning about? Like if I asked some of you, when was the last time you read a book? You'd probably say high school. It's time to read a book. About what? It doesn't matter if you hadn't read one in 15 years. Just get a book. Well, how many pages? Doesn't matter. Just get a book and read it. You're like, I don't like reading. Neither do I. It's a discipline. And I make myself do it. Why? Because I want to know more than I know. And I want to understand it. It keeps my mind sharp. The mind is a muscle. It needs to be worked out. Listen to some music. Go for a drive. My son asked me that yesterday. Yesterday morning, he's like, Dad, can we go on a drive? I'm like, where? And he was like, anywhere. He just want to go. He's like, you know, sometimes we just go drive. I'm interested in real estate, so I go look at houses. I go and look at things. And I just drive around. I go look at houses I can't afford because it's fun. Right? <laughs> like, man, that's crazy. But there's something about it for me. My ultimate is to be on a boat going around looking at houses that I can't afford. That's like, that's where my mental batteries are like. I'm like an old man just cruising. Like people that are creeping. They're probably like. That guy's been by here four times. He's just staring. I'm admiring, right? But it does something for my mind. It really does. You may need to go work out. For those of you that do it, bless you. Here's one we can all get excited about. Eat a good meal with some friends and family. Just laugh, have a good time. Why? It's good for your mind. When was the last time that you felt unhurried? Like where you just had some space. What do you want to do today? I don't know. I'm telling you, if you're burning like that, you're going too hard. Take a trip. Break your normal routine. You need to breathe life into your soul. The famous quote, it says, you'll be the same person in five years except for three things. 
So you'll be the same person five years from today unless three things happen. You go somewhere, you read a book, or you meet somebody. In other words, you need some experiences that will actually cause you to grow. The third one is a physical tank. You need to sleep and rest. How much sleep do you need? I have no idea. Me and Dara have different needs when it comes to sleep. She needs a couple more hours than I do. And that's fine. She doesn't need to be on my schedule. She needs whatever sleep she needs. And I need whatever sleep I need. So we have these three tanks already that we've talked about. We have an emotional tank. We have a mental tank. We have a physical tank. The last one is we have a spiritual tank. And let me tell you this, and this is important for you to know. I don't care if your spiritual tank is overflowing. If your physical tank, your mental tank, your emotional tank are empty, you're not going to be okay. And this is where it comes back to what what we would call soul health. You can have the other three tanks You can be physically good, emotionally good, mentally good. And if your spiritual tank is empty, your life experience is not going to be good. We were designed to live full lives. Jesus said, I have come that you have life to its fullest potential, fullest ability. And all four of these tanks need to be full for us to operate where we need to be. Now, these are just some practical things that we need to know. And every one of us are wired differently. Things that recharge me are not going to recharge you. But you got to figure it out. But this is what I do know. When it comes to the spiritual tank, there's only one place. There's not many paths. There's one. His name is Jesus. He is the pathway between us and the Father in heaven. And it is the only way that the Bible says that by which men can be saved. That men can experience the presence and the power of God. And so I want to just give you a moment here. And, and, and look, I'm not going to make you bow your head, close your We're going to pray a prayer right now because i got something else I need to do before we're done. But look, you may be here today and, and you've come to church and you've done all these things, but there's no relationship with God. That spiritual tank is empty. And you're like, man, I need, I don't even know where that tank is. You have it. You may not know it, but you actually desire to know God. You're hardwired for it. God built you to have a relationship with him. And it doesn't make you weird and it doesn't make you phony. It actually makes you come alive. Say, well, how do I do that? You have to surrender your heart. You have to surrender your desires. Remember earlier I told you there were three plans for your life. You got to surrender your plan. Say, God, my life is not my own, but I'm yours. What do you want me to do? So I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. This morning. What you're doing is surrendering your heart to the Lord. Because God can't heal you if he hasn't redeemed you. And it's important. There's an order. God is a God of order. And there are certain things that need to happen. But the Bible says that all of heaven's blessings are available to his kids. So I want to lead you in a prayer real quick. And if you're here, you may be here and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart. You've never surrendered your heart.